All right, I think we're ready to go. Hi guys, welcome to Is It My Turn once again. Um, it's Malcolm Davies. I'm here with my friends Alice and Nick. Hey guys. How you doing? Hey, how you going? Uh, we are here today to talk about Everdell. Everdell is an adorably thematic tableau builder by Starling Games that's got elements of worker placement and set collecting in it as well. The objective is to use your workers and your resources to grow the best town in the forest in the space of a year, which is expressed in the passing of the four seasons. Each turn, a player can place a worker, play a card, or prepare for season, and play continues until everyone can no longer do any of those actions. Then you tally up, and the winner is the player with the most victory points. Now, you guys know full well, I have been super excited to talk about Everdell because this is basically the game that inspired this podcast. Because as we were playing it, Nick would be forever just stopping in mid-sentence like, how good is this game? And you're right. It's so pretty. It's, It's not just that it's so pretty, there's so much going on, right? So let's get underway. Uh, as always, let's let's start with design. Nick, how about you first? Yeah, look, as you said before, this is this is the game that got us really talking about games and about game design together as friends, and uh, and you know those conversations eventually turned into this podcast. So, one of the things that I remember talking about a lot when we started playing Everdell together was the design cues it took from other games. I mean, I, my take on this, I don't know if you guys agree, but my take on this is that its influences are incredibly clear. Uh, the designer is not, he doesn't, he's not backwards about talking about the influences of the game. Uh, and in a way it's, it does very little original, but it does everything well. It's very, very clear what it's doing. Everything. Yeah. But everything it does, it does really, really well. So, I mean, for me, I think the design is extremely clever in that it blends influences such as Race for the Galaxy, Seven Wonders to a small extent, mainly through the kind of purple point collecting cards. Um, and I've heard, though I've never played it, I've heard that Imperial Settlers is also a pretty big influence on this game, which makes me want to play Imperial Settlers. But <laughs> like, um, I think I think the design's very, very clever. I think it's a little bit, um, a little bit higgledy piggledy, kind of stacked up on top of itself. Uh, from time to time, I do wonder if there's maybe slightly too many mechanics that interact. We'll talk about that more when we get to tactics and strategy. I think, but sometimes it just feels like there's a little too much going on. You know that old thing about. Uh, was it Vivian Westwood who said take one thing off before you leave the house? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's maybe what, what should have maybe happened. I mean, that doesn't detract at all from my enjoyment of the game, but that, it just feels to me like the design, there's a lot going on in it. There's, you know, resources, there's turns, there's actions, there's worker placement, there's spaces, you know, I'm gesticulating wildly here, folks. Like that's how kind of big this game really gets. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. What do you guys reckon? I completely agree, Nick. Um, I, I mean, I love this game. I love the design of this game. I'm not in as great a position to talk about the influences because I haven't played as many of, of those older games. Um, so having actually played this before playing something like Race for the Galaxy, I was certainly better equipped to play Race for the Galaxy having yeah. played this. Um, but I do think that there are... Definitely elements that they could have avoided putting in. I think the most obvious one in terms of design was the um, special events. Yeah. So yes. 
they feel bolted on. Yes. Like they feel bolted on and superfluous and unnecessary to how you play the game. I don't think I've ever played one. I don't think I've ever got one. The whole time we've played, I've never, ever picked one of them. I think I've got one once. Yeah, I've got them a couple of times, um, but mostly accidentally. So so special events um, require you to have a certain pair of cards in your tableau and you can basically sacrifice one of your workers permanently to gain some extra points at the end of the game. Um, and I think for me, they are either not, some of them aren't enough points to be worth sacrificing a worker, um, or they're just too sort of obscure or too hard and they're not, they're not necessarily, you could easily remove them as an element from the game. I think... They're only referred to on the actual cards once. Like on one card, they're referred to where you can get some bonus points for them at the end of the game. But yeah. other than that, I think that, that you know, they, they're completely unnecessary. Um, there are other elements and, and, yes, you're right, each card has a mechanic that will do things and yeah. it can add up to a lot very, very quickly. Um, but to be fair to the designers... Um, when you become familiar with how those mechanics work, um, the game can run very, very smoothly. Oh, it hums along beautifully. But even with the number of times we've played it, we will always forget elements of our engines at some point during the game. We'll forget to collect something that we should have collected after we played something else. So I think... If experienced players are going to do that, then it indicates that there's probably a little bit too much going yep, on. Absolutely, I completely agree. I think I think we're all very much on the same page. Um, I absolutely love so many elements of it. Uh, could not agree more about the special events. They just don't sit within the rest of the flow no, of the not game. At all. Like they they just sit outside the game as well. You know, I've already got my engine, I've already got a truckload of points and I don't need my workers, so I'll just extend my lead with these. They're opportunity points. In right. Fact, and, and they're not, but they're not even particularly good opportunity points is my take on it. Like they're, they're one of the things that I had in mind to, to, to ask everyone here and it's, and it's already been answered, are there any sort of mechanical elements that you don't like? Because yeah. I wanted to bring that up. <laughs> and everyone's just like... Stupid special events. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's funny you say they're outside the game. In the game we played this afternoon, you guys both literally stood up and walked around the table. You actually exited the game in order to look at the special events. Yes. Uh, it's a weird, uh, that, that really struck it struck me because I was just looking at them going, oh, I'm not going to even bother with them. And in the end, it didn't matter. You got one of them, Alice, and I didn't get any and we were two points apart. I yeah. Mean, it just didn't matter that much. No. No, no absolutely not. Um, so... Given that I was going to ask about uh, mechanics that people didn't like and we pretty much covered that, is there anything that anyone really likes, like any one of the natural parts of the flow of the game that anyone really, really digs? Yeah, I've got a couple. There's two that just I haven't seen anywhere else and this for me makes the game design sing. The first is that actions are unlimited. So in a tableau building game with a limited deck, and limited available cards and resources that are actually quite hard to get and limited worker placement. It's really unusual to have just totally unlimited actions. And so 
I think we've talked about this, Alice. Uh, you can slow down as much as you want, and sometimes yeah. that slowing down wins you the game. I mean, that like the game we played today, you guys both prepared for the first season well before I did because I'd found a way to just slow the tempo, slow the rhythm, turn cards into more cards. You know, I wasn't necessarily advancing in terms of points, but I was setting something up for later. Uh, and that that was really worthwhile, but I can only do that because I could basically take as many actions as I wanted before I had to prepare for season. Um, so that's one of them. And the second is the really interesting choice about permanent loss of workers. So the events that you get for having certain proportions of cards in your tableau. So you get, you know, if you've got four green cards, you can take the little tent and if you have you know three red paw print cards, you can take the little boat. I can't remember what any of them are actually called. Grand Tour is the... Boat. I yeah, can't remember the other yeah. one. Harvest Festival maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, there we go. So you can take those little basic events but if you do it too – like if you do it too early, you lose two, three worker placements down the line. But if you do it too late, someone else takes it from you. So it does spur on I think this really clever multiplayer element where you're watching other people's tableaus and you're like, well, I've got five green cards so I'm well and truly able to get Harvest Festival but Mal's got three and as soon as Mal plays the fourth one, I have to go. You know, I can't wait another round of the board after Mal plays his fourth green card and that might force me to lose two or three actions down the line. Those two I think are just incredibly clever. Did you have any on, on top of that, Alice? Um, I actually had um, not one that I like but one that I think we've all had a problem with. Um, so if you wanted to talk about something you liked first, then go ahead. Yeah, so... Really quickly, one of the things that I do like, Nick sort of covered it really quickly and it's in the same vein as as sort of the unlimited number of, of turns is that with the element of preparing for season, whilst it's it's thematically broken yeah. <laughs> because somehow someone goes into spring before someone else goes into, yeah. yeah. But the fact that Alice needed to move on out of winter and into spring early yep. and I could manage to push on a little bit longer because I had things that, that worked out for me to set up to, to get slightly better benefit out of the first prepare for season and, and then you were able to push that longer. I actually enjoy that. I, I do like that. I, I, can, I can pull my head out of the thematic break yep. for how that gives me the opportunity to set up something uh, a little bit further down the track like as you were trying to do. So in the Kickstarter version of the game, and it was still on Kickstarter, um, sorry, you know, the original rules, the ones published to the Kickstarter page, uh, that, that action wasn't called prepare for season. It was just called season. And no one could figure it out because of that thematic clash. Everyone was like, oh, what do you mean season? Which season am I in? How does this work? Does it matter? Yeah. And the designer eventually came on Board Game Geek and on the Kickstarter page and said, look, that's you're thinking too hard about it. And they had to change it to prepare for season because it... It was, it was too literal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's fair. The thing that I wanted to say in terms of um, a mechanic... Um, where there's something lacking, and I think we've all recognised this, is that there is... Um, so in terms of the, the cards that you use, there is a, um, a closed deck of cards that you draw, but there also is an open um, tableau of cards called the Meadow, a yeah. shared hand of cards um, that you can access. And whilst um, we played a game before recording this and we actually managed to turn over the meadow quite a lot you can very easily get a meadow of eight cards 
that no one wants yeah. and they don't move. And yeah. it's a real it, – it can really stymie a game mm-hmm. when you've got this yeah. element that you're meant to be able to access to – add to your tableau and add to your hand and no one wants any of it. And I think that's an element of the game that is a slight problem. Absolutely. Like I remember one of our really early games, we just, it sat there. There was nothing. I I think one or two cards got turned out of the meadow for the duration of the entire game and otherwise we all kind of sat there going, what's the point of you? Why are you in this? But... To to be fair, that's it's happened less. I think I think you have hit on a thing that we managed to do a bit better, and I'm pretty sure that that's why it was probably introduced to the uh, into preparing for summer. Yeah, that you would have to take two cards out of it. It's to flush it. So it yeah. is to 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 have some cycling through the meadow. But that but is something great. that works to the detriment. Like if you've got a bad meadow yeah. and nobody wants it, the person who goes first yeah. in the meadow season is at a sign on in the summer season. Sorry, is at a significant disadvantage because they are forced to take cards that nobody wants. And then they replace two of the cards, which might be cards that the people follow on want. So it becomes part of tactics, but I think that it would be better if there was some mechanism to turn the meadow over if... I don't know how it would work, but it it can have a negative impact on the game. Yeah. I think you came across what to me is the one real opportunity to turn over the meadow, which is the Undertaker. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I don't think any of us have used The Undertaker like that in any of the games that we've played. We often end up with really full hands, so there's not much point. And and you don't want to – even though actions are free, workers aren't, so you don't really want to use a worker to discard cards if you can avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's certainly not a card you would use early on in the game because you would lose a worker permanently. So moving on to balance, uh, look, I, I'm, I'll, I'll kick off. Um, I don't have a lot of thoughts on the balance of the game. Overall, I, I do think it's it does feel quite balanced. We've talked about mechanical elements that feel out of place. They don't really shift the balance of the game. The one thing that has ever made me feel awkward about it is the damn crane. <laughs> Someone gets that crane, and especially especially if they get it in in the fir- in first season. Especially in- if that person is Nick. No, Alice, <laughs> Alice has had it like once. I know that I've had it, and and if you get it in your hand, if you if hand, it's in your opening yeah. hand, or if you're in a position to to so one of the few the one I think one of the first times I got to use the crane, I was sitting in the meadow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that I got, was and when I, I got to use it. Yeah, and, and I you know I got a pedal really quickly just so I could get the damn crane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That one can throw. That's the, that's the only one that I see that can throw things out a little bit. I think there's plenty of things that bring it back into balance, but that's probably the one thing that has me going, oh, you're a little bit weird if you come out early. Or um, potentially if it comes out later, I don't think it's as much of an issue. Like, you know, the, the, the game that we were playing this afternoon, I got a crane late and it made something cheaper. Yeah. but. I could have paid for it with the resources and, and sort of the resource engine that I'd managed to build. Like it wasn't that I couldn't afford it. It just conveniently made it a bit cheaper. 
Um, Alice, did you like? Were there any that any sore points for for balance for you? Um, I think the only comment I would make is that in order to play the game efficiently, you really need to understand all of the cards that yeah. are available and how they interact. Absolutely. And so um, new players playing with experienced players will be at, at a huge, huge. disadvantage, yeah. not simply because of being able to apply tactics but just simply because they, the knowledge of the cards is absolutely central. And also not only that but also knowing that there are multiples of cards yep. Yep. in the deck um, and knowing, so knowing how often you might see something. So knowing that I don't have to grab it now, um, I can maybe wait, you know, if it's a farm, there's like five farms in the, you know, or more. So you, you don't have to necessarily grab the first one you see. So, I mean, there are always going to be imbalances between experienced players and inexperienced players, but you will definitely get... Um, if you're not good at, at remembering those sort of things, then Everdell is going to be difficult for you because it is a central part of the game to be able to construct an engine to either get resources or to um, get points at the end. You need to know how cards interact yeah. and you need to, to know the sort of proportions that they come out in. You need to know the spin. You need to know how those different cards are going to interface. Like, yeah. you, know, we're talk you, you know, I got the – you were talking about what – the one that I had today is one of your favourite combinations, the, yeah, the, the, the courthouse, courthouse judge. Yeah. I hadn't used it before and it rapidly became one of my favourite combinations as well. Well, I was getting that card wrong. I was reading courthouse incorrectly. So I thought after you'd played something you got to swap. Uh, judge. Yeah, sorry, judge. Um, I was using courthouse right. But uh, actually it makes it even more powerful. I mean I think going back to the kind of overall question of balance – here we're really talking about balance between cards. I mean, we're I think, nitpicking. Yeah, well, a little bit, but a little bit not. I think the crane is a bit preposterous. Um, I think it's one. You of love the most, it. I love it. But <laughs> I think it is one of the most clearly unbalanced cards in the opening turn of the game because you can use the crane to get something that's green that would otherwise take both of your workers. Like you can place a single worker, get a single pebble, play the crane, get a farm. And then you've got a source of berries that is going to hit off every single time that you change the well, the first and last time you change season. You get a storehouse with that thing. You've got resources. It's nuts forever. It's it's the only card that's as powerful as it is that's as cheap yeah, as it is. Absolutely, it's actually it's too cheap for its. There's Power. Some, yeah, there's some comparisons. The inn does the same thing with critters from the meadow, uh, and the innkeeper does the same thing with critters. So this, this and then the, the there's the dungeon as well. You can use the dungeon to 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 do a cost reduction. So there are like I think you're right. But none Alice. of them are as cheap. None of them are as cheap, or none of them. I mean, I think no. It's I, for me. It's not the cheapness. For me, it's the fact that it works for everything. Yeah, that's what makes it such a powerful card. But I think just to kind of bring it back off a specific example, I think. There are other cards that are better or worse than others. I think, for example, the storehouse woodcutter combo is very, very good because the storehouse can just build up logs and the woodcutter can use all of those logs reasonably quickly. To Like it's the only source of three logs that's not a, a forest card. So you could go three logs, take the three logs, immediately use the, um, the woodcutter. If you had a storehouse down in the first turn 
and then you got a woodcutter for free and then you could put a worker on the storehouse. Then you could have three victory points by the end of first season. That's huge. But I think let's just pull it back a little bit and talk about the stable of games that that this belongs in. It belongs in Race for the Galaxy, which has the same, or the same stable as Race for the Galaxy, which has the same problems that you're talking about, Alice, which if you don't know the cards, you're in a lot of trouble. Um, it's got the same problems as Glory to Rome. But what I love about Glory to Rome, which, you know, might be the grail game of all grail games, <laughs> but uh, what I love about Glory to Rome is it, it it's okay with that. It says, yeah, you're going to find crazy combinations. It's dumb. You're going to win with 84 points when everyone else is on 20 points because you found some totally broken combination between these three cards and we never bothered to think about what it was. Glory to Rome revels in its lack of balance. And I think... I think Everdell belongs somewhere between the Race for the Galaxy and Glory to Rome in that balanced space where Race for the Galaxy is fastidiously well-balanced um, to the extent that every time you get an expansion for that game you get certain new copies of specific cards to tweak the balance. The gambling world's the one I'm thinking of because it has different probabilities in the deck that it, it pings off. But um, Glory to Rome is deliberately not balanced at all. I think Everdell belongs halfway between and because it's halfway between there are some cards that are just crazy and some cards that are just run of the mill. And it's it, – as you say that, it's really interesting. It's making me think about it in a slightly different way that actually what the game's doing is trying to reward you for finding those yeah, combinations. Absolutely. And to reward the replaying and the getting to know it better and better and better and better so that you can find those combinations and apply them yep. and apply them in different contexts so they they do different things in different tableaus. Yes, they really do. Um, exactly. And that so that actually really adds to the replayability of the game. So moving on, let's get into tactics and strategy. I'm going to hand over to Alice. You're up. Um this game has taught me so much about flexibility mm. and about having to adjust my expectations of a hand, adjust uh-huh. how I think about what I start with versus what I, where I need to go. Um, I had a lot of... When, when I started this, so so I've, um, we've now been playing games together for almost two years yeah. um, as sort of a, a regular trio um, and my ability to change tack and to um, adapt has improved drastically over that yeah. time. I was the sort of person who would become very wedded to the cards they got in their hand at the beginning yep. and trying to find the best way to use all of those cards. In some ways, Malcolm and I are almost the opposite in the way that we approach <laughs> tactics and strategy yeah, in games. That's a fair call. Malcolm will throw everything to the wind and will try everything. I want to get it right the first time. <laughs> that's because I'm an anxiety-ridden perfectionist. <laughs> so it's not great. Um, but... This game has taught me that you can't become wedded to what's in your hand. No, you can't. You have to be able to adapt to um, what you've got, what's coming up in the meadow, what your uh, opponents are playing, um, what resources you do and don't have access to. And that's another thing that we haven't talked about in terms of balance or design is that you have access to resources based on 
um, these places you can put your worker in in the forest, but you also have a rotating selection of four cards which are additional worker placement sections which give you access to different things in different ways. So there will be some games where you can't get pebbles. They're the most scarce resource anyway, but there will be some games where there are literally, there'll be literally like two places on the entire board where you can get pebbles. I think we've, we've had a game where there was one. Well, no, you can't, there can't be one because there's, there's the place where you can discard, there's the the pebble slot and then there's the spot where you can discard cards to get anything. In the little Stonehenge place. Yeah. But, you could literally have only two places yeah. and if you're playing with three people, yeah. one of those <laughs> is one only, yeah. one worker only at a time. It's enough for a crane. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so you have to be able to adapt and to yeah. find the cards that you can play that will give you the ability to yeah. turn one resource into another resource. And that's the engine building. Yeah, and 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 so you're not always going to be able to – you're not always going to want to build the same sort of engine every single game to do the same sort of things. You have to adapt to the cards you've got, the cards that are in the meadow, the resources that are or are not readily available. And the so, cards you know you can't get because someone else has got them. Yeah, yeah. Um, or at least are going to be a lot harder for you to get if somebody else has got them. So um, – I think that's, I mean, the main aspect for me is um, you you do need to know how to make an engine and you need to be flexible in your approach. That's why I suck at this. I'm <laughs> so bad at engine building. So, I mean, I think this is why I had an advantage. And why Nick's so good at it. <laughs> I was about to say, I think I had an advantage over you guys because I'd played a lot of Race for the Galaxy back in the day. And that game, more than anything, taught me that you have to have, instead of a strategy, you have directional tactics. You've got, you open your hand at the beginning or you look at your hand at the beginning and you go, okay, well, maybe not at the beginning, maybe three turns in when you've got eight cards and you go, all right, I've got these cards in my tableau. These cards are available in the meadow. I think I want to build in this broad direction. At the beginning, you could do anything. You could go in any, anywhere. You know, three turns in, you're like, I have a lot of twigs, but I have no resin. So how am I going to get resin? And so you have to sort of shift your worker placement over to getting resin while your production cards can get you wood and or twigs. And, um, and so you, you just gradually narrow the strategy down until you do what Alice did towards the end of the last game where you just drop those purple cards in. So the purple cards do much much like what the purple guild cards in Seven Wonders do or the six-point development cards in Race for the Galaxy. They just tie your tableau together. And so you just drop those in because they fit your tableau um, or you go hard after the events, which is usually what I do. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, you, you don't have a strategy so much as a kind of adaptive directional set of tactics. You're, you start moving in a direction and you pick up speed and after a while you can't turn the boat around anymore but you can... You, know, you can it nudge it. Yeah, yeah, nudge yeah. it one way or the other. But, yeah, the, the early stage... You don't the, have the engine, you only have thrusters. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, the early stage of the forest. game is, is very much about being able to flex. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Okay, you know, I... I in, in, in the game that we played today is probably one of the best resource engines I've ever built while yeah. playing this game. It was the closest game we'd ever played, I think. Um, but I didn't use those resources well enough in terms of making sure that I then had the uh, the the end of game yeah. bonuses. Yeah. Like I had a lot of victory points that I'd gained from churning out or, yeah. or, or, or getting rid of 
resources because yeah. I had so many of them coming through. But I left myself in a situation where in terms of the the bonus points, I got four. Yeah. Literally got yeah. four bonus points. I had From four, purple cards. From, from or either purple cards or, or, or other or things. That we, yeah. yeah, like actually, yeah, purple cards, the theatre and the Evertree. I got yeah. four points from those two cards. Yeah, the fact that it was close was the fact I had generated 20 victory points yeah. throughout the game. Yeah, just by um, selling stuff off. Just, by, just yeah. by shipping stuff off, which in itself creates it like to the recognition that you can, like with some subtle tweaks to how I'd spent those resources, yeah. um, there's a number of different ways you can get it because I wasn't uh, putting down the same sorts of of cards, the same sorts of constructions, yeah. to use the game's terminology. Uh, I wasn't putting down a lot of the same sorts of critters, um, but I was just farming off resources as a way of, of churning my victory points up. So it's interesting that you can still get really good scores out of a couple of different engines. What I can, what I would absolutely flat out say is if you don't know how to build any like an engine, either a victory point engine or a resource engine, yeah. you tactically you are going to struggle with this game because if you're just playing on face value, you might get lucky and get thirty points tops. Yeah, yeah, but you're in serious trouble. So the, I, I think that all comes from what I said right at the beginning in the design section. There's no limit to actions. Yeah. So you can't do a rush victory. You know, this is not like Race of the Galaxy where you can plonk do down. Do a military rush. Yeah. Or, Bye, yeah, we're or, done. Or plonk down the first kind of five junk blue and brown worlds you find, drop a six-point development in and go, hey, I've got 12 cards, we're finished. Like you can't you can't do that in Everdell. If you finish real quick, everyone else is just going to go, cool, have three fools and we'll just spend the rest of the time being real careful. Yeah. <laughs> by, by the way, can you make us a cup of tea while you're sitting there? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Like I, I think for me all of the tactical space of this game comes down to a series of quite complicated exchange rates between every element of the game. So obviously there's the various resources themselves. So there's various twigs, resin, pebbles. There's the cards in hand, cards in the meadow, cards in your opponent's tableaus, cards in your tableaus. Tableau space itself is a resource that you've got to be incredibly careful about. The seasons and the and the kind of interactions between your cards, other people's tableaus, the meadow. Because, of, you know, the seasons you get, the first season you trigger all your production cards you trigger them all in the last season and well as well and in the season in the middle you just take cards out of the meadow so you've got to time that really carefully um, the events are resources because they're quite limited um, the purple cards are resources as well so I think in this game you're constantly it's actually a floating exchange rate the whole game is a floating exchange rate right there and then you're like oh I've got I've got this three wood and I can spend this three wood or two of it to build the castle and the castle will probably net me somewhere between seven and nine points at the end of the game or I could spend all three wood immediately for three victory points using the little wood wood cutter or like, do you know what I mean? These are the decisions you're constantly making and then you've got to think through these kind of questions of, you know, the kind of opportunity cost. What's in the future? What else is in my hand? You know, if I use the crane to obviate these three um, these three wood that I could use elsewhere. That's a real positive. But you know, I've got to put this little dude on this, you know, the I forgot about the workers. You only get 13 worker actions the whole game and that's another finite resource that you've got to manage. So for me, it's all about the trade-off. Like if I use the worker to get three victory points now on the event, does that, but I sacrifice two actions. Firstly, I've got to consider, is it worth it to deny one of you guys the three points? Mm -hmm. 
is it worth those two worker actions to deny one of you guys at three points? But then I've got to think about what is he going to get me otherwise? Because I can put him on my inn and save three um, three resources, three berries on a on a critter, or I could put him in the in the dungeon. No, he doesn't go in the dungeon, does he? He goes in the cemetery. Yes. Yeah, I could put him in the cemetery to get more cards if I need, yeah. or I could just keep putting him back onto the meadow cards. So it's just it's an insane economy. This game has a totally insane economy. And the and the thing to go with that is you, you're talking about trying to um, trade off between what a card's worth now and what yeah. a card might be worth later, but you can't know what a no. card's <laughs> worth later. Or you if it's going to be available. Yeah. Well, you can't – if you've got a card in your hand and you're trying to decide whether to – which way to play it or how to use it, um, you can't actually know what – how much that's going to be worth at the end of the game because no, no you idea. don't know what card you might end up with yep. at the end of the game. So you could end up by sheer luck at the end of the game with a card which gives you bonus points for unique constructions or bonus points for unique critters. And if you have one of those, then its points value changes. Yep. So it's really it's really hard to make those those decisions and you might get them that you might make a decision and it might not pay off it might end up wrong i had a really specific example of that this last game where the resources i used to build the castle which ended up getting me nine victory points in total were robbed me uh, directly of of resources that would have counted as victory points on the architect so pebbles and resin on the architect at the end of the game are worth a point each up to a value of six so in the end i had to use a worker placement to get more resources to make the architect work but actually in the end had I not done that I could have just used the little journey thing you know the little journey thing where you discard cards and get that many victory points in yeah. order so the point is the architect became totally worthless he all he did was distract me from other possible plays I mean he was worth the three victory points two or three whatever he's on there yeah um but it just it just that was a perfect example. I played the architect with this long, far-sighted idea of I'll just build up pebbles and resin. In the end, I spent the pebbles and resin on a better idea, and I and I couldn't ever get the value back that I'd put into all of that effort. So it's yeah, it's um, it's a weird, it's a weird set of exchange rates, and that's where all the tactics are. So next section, the aesthetic. Aesthetics and the production values, you know, production quality of this game. Um, yeah, I'm going to lead off. Uh, as a designer, this game blows my mind. <laughs> as a lover of cute, fuzzy animals, this game blows my mind. Uh, it's, it's actually a bit of a, like, there's an embarrassment of wealth when it comes to talking about the production values of this game. It's Where gorgeous. do you start? I mean, you could start with the tree, which is ridiculous, sometimes inconvenient, but <laughs> but talk about fitting your theme. Yeah, yeah? I, I mean, you know, I got to play the ever tree is the card, and the thing's sitting there on the <laughs> on the table the entire time, and it's awesome. There is actually a, a tree that you build out, like a three dimensional tree that you build out of cardboard that actually holds various elements of. Um, the game so that people understand what, yeah. what we're talking about. I mean, it's stupidly gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Like the whole game is stupidly gorgeous. But I'm going to be the party pooper. I'm going to say there's a couple of issues with just how pretty it is, which is that the tree itself is not all that useful. Funct no, it's not. Sorry, that's wrong. It's not functional. It's beautiful. And that maybe maybe, you know, beauty is function. I don't know. But 
it just it gets in the way. It you can knock it over really easily. Stuff falls off it all the time. And I love looking at it. I love photographing this game. When if I want to get people hooked on something a bit more complicated than Settlers of Catan or Werewolf at the Board Game Cafe, I will play this. You 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 set this up and people are just like, what's well, that yeah. game? But it does yeah. take an awful lot of room. <laughs> yeah. So much space. And worse than that, it you can't sit around this board. Right, the, the 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 tree gets in the way of sight lines to other players, so you often end up. It's like job interview style. It's like the four of you are interviewing the tree. Like it's, <laughs> so, so, so where do you see yourself in five years? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Rooted. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think. I mean, obviously, it's gorgeous. The production values are through the roof. But um, there's some little niggles for me too. Is like you know the copy that I bought. We're about to get a second copy. Um, Mal and Alice are about to get a second copy in the Kickstarter, the second Kickstarter for Pearlbrook. Mine, the cards, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the card you hold on the bottom in your hand, the edges start to wear um, and it's a little bit of a shame uh, because the art on the cards is completely gorgeous. It's out of this world. Yeah, and then the the twigs is the other problem, which obviously they're fixing in in the update and they're fixing it for a very reasonable price so I cannot complain but... You know, come on, the twig, they just roll. You put them down, they roll off the table. Bye. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll find that later. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. Sure you uh-huh. will because not only is it cylindrical, it's small. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there is one other element actually. I know I'm sort of talking a lot here so just jump in if you think I'm, you know, saying anything too stupid. But uh, I, there's one other element to the aesthetics that I didn't pick up until we played Root a bit, which is obviously the other big release of 2018 involving cute woodland animals, which is obviously the first time you play Root, you're like, oh, this is real. Oh, God, no, this is so cutthroat, so ruthless, so nasty, right? And once I'd played Root, I came back to Everdell and I'm like, oh, this is just, this is just like full-on heteronormative capitalist hegemony, like, there's little woodland factories and, you know, you get bundled up and locked in the dungeon and there's a police force and there's this dude over here who sits on a lookout tower and, like, scrutinises everybody but doesn't count because he's actually, you know, it doesn't count as your tableau because he's the security services. And the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, this is just mildly terrifying. Like, <laughs> this, you know, yes, you know, the, inn, the innkeeper's a lovely badger who's going to give you all the food you want and the storekeeper's a rabbit and blah, 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 blah. I wouldn't want to starve in Everdell. Like, I wouldn't want to be starving in Everdell. <laughs> like... <laughs> You know, if you're not a good little, like, clean-cut middle-class woodland creature, you're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> it, it is quite true. Yeah. It is quite true. And 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 I, I will I will just – it's the most ridiculous nitpicking of nitpicking, <laughs> but there is an inconsistency in size in the illustrations in some of this. So some creatures are carrying around blueberries that are the size of a – Small beach ball. Yep. <laughs> there is then another card which shows a picture of a mouse standing in front of a blueberry that is taller than he is. <laughs> now, unless that's the fair's prize blueberry that someone's managed to it grow to increase sizes. It could be. It could be his prize blueberry that just won at the Harvest Festival. Is I mean, that, come is on. Is that an event card? <laughs> <laughs> it should be. Yeah, Starling Games, if you're listening, we want credit. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's completely gorgeous and actually one of the things that I think is hilariously funny about this is hearing everyone talk about how cute and adorable yeah. and gorgeous Root is 
but having encountered Everdell yeah. <laughs> first, I have to say that Roots, it's it's cute yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and it's but it's it's not it's Everdell. Not Everdell. <laughs> and look, I should just say I, all that stuff about capitalism, blah blah, whatever. The game's gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. It is an absolutely stunning game. Yeah. Like it, 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 it is a visual feast, yeah. um, and I, I think that 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 for me. The aesthetics can make and break a game, yeah? Like you, you can end up going, oh, look, the mechanics are nice, but you've essentially got me just moving tiny little bits of cardboard around. Hooray, congratulations. Or you can have something like this where all of the bling distracts from <laughs> the horrific nature of, of, of economy. I mean, it's a little bit like real life in yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> if it's all nice and shiny, you're nice and distracted. Woodland consumerism. <laughs> um, it does, however, it does... Now you're talking about distraction. There's something I've just thought of. The, the unfathomable gorgeousness of the art, the colour palette, the you know production, the componentry, like all of it is just so lovely. It does cover up how clinical you've got to be. Because you do have to make really clinical decisions on that crazy set of exchange rates. And you can just get a little hooked in the theme sometimes. You can just get a little bit, well, I've got a mine, I need a miner. I've got a storehouse, I need a storekeeper. Like, So that's my problem. <laughs> no, I actually, and all it jokes actually- aside, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think that, that there's an element that the, the visuals can tie you into sometimes building sets when... The set itself is not what you need. Yeah. The um the the and and that actually goes back to um the design and a mechanic because um if you build a so so constructions and critters come in pairs essentially for every construction there is a corresponding critter and if you build the construction first you can get the critter for free now for someone who has a brain like mine that is just crack like <laughs> I it's almost it's almost impossible for me to bring myself to buy a critter if I don't yep. have the construction already yep. like it seems like it's a waste of resources yeah. I did not buy a critter yeah this and, game. and you see and I brought myself to buy a critter because yeah. I wanted the critter and I knew that the construction wasn't actually yeah. worth my time yeah. It's taken me a lot of games <laughs> to be able to bring myself to do that. So if you have a brain like mine, you can actually get suckered into a mechanic like that just simply because of the aesthetics and theme. So finally, enjoyment. Uh, Nick. Oh, look, what can I say? I love it. I think it's a bloody great game. I mean, it's it's one that we How just, good is this game? Oh, how good is this game? We just keep coming back to it time and time again. One of the things I really appreciate about this game, and I said this right at the beginning, that it shows its influences really, really clearly. One of the things I really appreciate about this game is, as Alice said, we've been kind of game-playing friends now for two years. Um, we've been, you know, friends of other kinds for longer, but we've been game-playing friends for two years and and... This, co- this game caused me to go back to my collection and pull out a bunch of games that were a lot like it and introduce you guys to it. It's thanks to this game we played a little bit of Race for the Galaxy, a little bit of Glory to Rome. It got me looking at my collection again with something other than sort of, you know, uh, you know, kind of nostalgia. Yeah, and- it's, it, it's no longer pure nostalgia because yeah. like I'm not only remembering how good that is but 
there's there's an element of wanting to to go back to that experience yeah. and also introduce people because we hadn't played Race for the Galaxy or, yeah. or Glory to Rome, and then when you introduce us to them, it's like oh yeah, the the pedigree yeah. of this yeah. is is incredible. It it created a really interesting yes. sharing experience and and playing those other two games continues to influence only for the better my like my enjoyment of, yeah. of Everdell in particular. Um, I will say this uh, just in terms of, well, we're talking about enjoyment of the game. I mean, I completely love it. I very rarely say no to playing this game. Um, and the only reason I'd say no is because I had another game I wanted to play or it's two in the morning and I'm really tired. Like they're the, they're the kind of reasons to sort of not play this game, right? Um, but uh, I will say there's a kind of a funny emotional... Uh, texture to the end of the game when you've finished all your actions and you're just waiting because um, it's not it's not a fun wait. <laughs> like, no. You, you know, you're nervous. You're sitting there going, who's going to play a fool on me? What what have they done that I've missed? You know, you can no longer impact the game at all, but the game's not over. Um, and that bit where everybody's tallying, that, like Alice has this hilarious habit where she does the tallying and then she goes, how many points did you get? Yeah, it's, and you it's go, so true. You go, oh, 62. And she goes, oh, 64. <laughs> it was absolutely Not glorious. every time. Sometimes I do that so I know that I've lost. <laughs> no, it was perfect. I, I'm, I'm mocking you, but it's very, very affectionate mocking. But the, um, that's, and that's, that's not, that's actually not you. That's the game, no, right? No. The game, because of this weird end piece, uh, the game can often be a little bit. Uh, it can have that nervous end and, and you know, given that it's there to test your engine building capacity, your ability to remember the cards, your ability to manage this preposterous economy of multiple currencies, it can feel a little bit at the end like have I done it well enough, have I not? Yeah, it's a bit anxiety-inducing. Yeah, right? absolutely. Because like, I finished first this time yeah, around. Yeah. I was like, I know, I mean, this is a pretty good score and I got that result. So I'm reasonably <laughs> happy and tallying up like, okay, I mean... We've had people win on less, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm looking at these scores, <laughs> like, oh man, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Alice, um, I think like all of us, I love this game. Um, I love the theme. I love the aesthetics. I love the components. I love um, the game playing. Um, tactical journey of discovery it's taken me on in terms of it has been responsible for making me a better player. Mm. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't play, um, it sounds ridiculous, but I wouldn't play Azul as well as I do if mm. I it's hadn't so played yeah, Everdell. It's so true. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot um, because this – this game combines so many different elements. So because it combines the worker placement with the tableau building, with the set collection, with the engine building, um, some games only have one or two of those elements but because this contains them all and you're trying to get them all at the same time, when you go back to playing those other games, it actually makes it easier yeah. to come to grips with those elements because you've played them. It's, it's like we used to do in... This sounds ridiculous. It's going back a long way, but it's like we used to do in swimming training. We would literally swim laps with our fists closed. Yeah, yeah. 
because it was so much harder. And then when you swim with your your hands open pulling water properly, it feels so much easier. It's like you run with weights on or all of that sort of stuff. So um, I love the intellectual challenge of this game and um, it's, yeah, it's it's great. And despite the couple of things that we've picked at, um, I can't wait for the expansion and yeah, I can't oh, wait please. to play that with you guys and we will definitely talk about oh, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Um, again, I can completely agree. Absolutely love playing this game. I I am the first person to admit Everdell is not one of my strengths, right? Um, I think in the number of times we've played, I, I'm pretty sure I've won about once. There are plenty of games that I am far stronger at uh, even if I'm having a bad game, I'm fine because I'm still sitting there looking at some of the most incredible art that I have ever seen in a board game anyway. Yeah, so I'm there even just looking at the cards in my hands or the ones on my tableau going, wait, when they've got this construction and the critter card that goes with it, the critter is hidden in the art <laughs> of the construction. Oh, my God, you have blown my mind. The first time I actually noticed that, I literally just, no way. Um, <laughs> so I, and I, lo- I do love the gameplay of it. Yeah, it has so much going on. Um, but just as an overall experience, we were, we were listening to another podcast. We talked someone talking about a game that's not that they don't enjoy the game; they enjoy the experience. Yeah. I still love the game but the overall experience of Everdell is just something special yeah I could play it again and again just one last little side note this is this is a game so pretty you get drawn in so much that we actually had to create a little well we had a little stuffed toy that we pass around to remind us that it's it's our turn it's actually where the name of the podcast came from is it my turn (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely because because we kept forgetting to tell people our turns were over because you just get lost in the cast yeah you're so (laughs) drawn in so we have this little reindeer stuffed reindeer that we pass from person to person as a kind of it's your turn marker because it's the only way we could remember and that that is Everdell's fault, or to Everdell's credit, perhaps. Yeah, I think I, I think the latter. And and look, watch out for for pictures of the reindeer on on our Instagram page. Yeah, I mean, he, he he needs to show up at some point in time. Awesome. Thank you so much, one for playing the game with me this afternoon and for kicking my ass again. Uh, but that's fine. Um, and two, thank you for being a part of the podcast that Everdell started right it's been a fantastic experience um let's play again soon yeah absolutely definitely and that's it for our episode on everdell the game that basically started this podcast we'll be back in a month with our discussion on rise of tribes by breaking games but in the meantime check the show notes for links to more information on everdell as well as our social media accounts If you enjoyed this episode of Is It My Turn, please head over to iTunes or wherever you source your podcasts to subscribe, share, or leave us a review. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.